Well, if you've ever met an athlete or even heard of an athlete who is competing at the top of their level, you quickly learn that their whole life is given to their sport. When I was in college, I was, I was in school up near Seattle, and, and I was part of a small church plant. And there in that church, there was a football player who played for the Seahawks. And when you're part of a church plant, you know that you're desperate to meet anywhere that you can uh, when it's not a Sunday. And so we had a group that was meeting, and we met at the biggest house, and it was his house. Um, and we were discussing things about the church there and, and sharing testimonies of what the Lord had been doing. And uh, in a side conversation we were having, I was asking him uh, about, me and some friends, asking him about what it's like playing for the Seahawks. And, and he said, you guys want to come see the closet? And we're like, Yeah. And so he invited us up into his walk-in closet where he had all his jerseys and his football helmet and all the like. But there in the closet, he also showed us a binder. And that binder had everything in, all his diet, all his exercise, everything that he had to do in order to compete at his top there as he played the game. And so he only played, sure, one game a week, but it was immediately clear that his whole life his waking hours, his sleeping hours, his eating hours, everything in his life was dedicated so that he could be performing at his best when he played football. And the Christian life is not too different from that. And everything that we do, we do it for this one purpose. We do this so that we would serve the Lord. And this is what our text calls us to as well. Listen to Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So our text this morning gives us a comprehensive view of the Christian life. It's a comprehensive guide here in just one verse of everything that you might ever ask God. What would you have me do in this or that? We've already seen it covered multiple times already. We've already told us all the things that we're to put on and put off. And, and it's really, we're, we're accustomed to keeping lists, right? Have I done what I'm supposed to do today? Have I, have I done all the things that God requires of me? And yet what we have here is something far more comprehensive than any list could ever provide. Now, before we get started, though, I want to give a brief word to the unbeliever who hears this text this morning. This text is not for you. The very beginning of Colossians 3, we're told this. Paul said, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Understand, Paul is assuming, by the time he's gotten to chapter 3, he's assuming that he is writing to believers who have been raised with Christ. Chapter 1, he, he made sure that the Colossians and we as, as readers of this letter knew who Christ is, that he is God and he is the redeemer of his church. And then in chapter 2, he warned us of, of the danger, the heresy that is spreading among the Colossians. These false teachers are telling them all the list, all the things that they need to do. Don't do this, do this, don't handle, don't taste, do, don't touch, observe certain holidays and feasts and seasons. And Paul is saying, have nothing to do with what they're giving you. Don't look at the things of the world. But here in verse 17, he's writing to the believers to say, set your mind on things above. And all of chapter 3 has been to that end. Talking about the things that God actually calls us to. Not what the Colossian false teachers were calling them to, but what, what God and Christ has called us to. The new life in Christ. 
So if you're not a believer here this morning, understand you're jumping right in the middle of this letter as he's writing to Christians. If you're not a believer, listen to the words here given in Acts 16. The Philippian jailer asked this question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And so if you're not a believer, I want you to do this. I don't want you to worry too much about your deeds and your words this morning is to try to correct yourself so that you might come to Jesus in a worthy manner, but instead come as you are and know that Jesus, he forgives those who come to him in faith and repentance. But now if you are a believer here this morning, as most of us are, this morning's text applies to you. So turn again to Colossians 3.17 and hear these words. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Understand, this scripture is not a scripture that is for pastors alone. This is not a text that only applies to missionaries. This doesn't apply to just the select few Christians who are really dedicated and want to serve the Lord with their entire life. No, this text applies to anyone who bears the name Christian. So if you call yourself a Christian, understand this belongs to you. And so as we continue through this text this morning, I have three points for us. I want us to consider first the breadth of the Christian life, the breadth of the Christian life. Next, we're going to consider what the banner of the Christian life is. And finally, the manner that is fitting in the Christian life. So first, let us consider the breadth of the Christian life by measuring all that Christ rules in our life. What we're asking here, what I want us to consider is what are the boundaries of the Christian life? Where does the Christian life stop and end? So where is the line, so to speak? We think about this oftentimes when we're driving into Portland or anywhere crossing into Oregon. We, we wonder, where's the difference between Washington and Oregon? Where's the line? Because I want to know this. I want to know if I need to pump my own gas or if I need to stay in my car so someone else can pump my gas. So there's many reasons one might want to know whether they're in Oregon or Washington, and it's quite easy to know what state you're in. You just have to know if you've crossed the river. If you cross the river, then you're in Oregon. And if you cross the river coming up north, then you're in Washington. The Columbia River divides these two states. And so similarly, we're asking, where is the line in the Christian life? At what point am I to serve the Lord? And at what point am I free to do whatever I want? And our text makes this abundantly clear. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, there is no ambiguity as to where the line is here because he states it in three different ways. Paul tells us, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus. And so as we measure the breadth of the Christian life, we need to understand everything we do falls under this new category. We are a new creation in Christ, and so everything we do counts here in the Christian life. So in one sense, it's easy to measure the breadth of the Christian life because there is no limit to Christ's reign in the Christian's life. And this morning's scripture makes this clear. So let's define the border as Paul has listed it out here. Let's consider what he means by whatever you do. He 
he understands this for the Colossians, that their lives all vary in, in many ways. And in the next two weeks, we're going to hear that he's going to write specific instructions to husbands and wives and children and masters and slaves. And those instructions all vary. But he says here, he has this umbrella category. Whatever you do, it is to be done unto Christ. And so while our lives even here this morning vary, that no two lives here look the same, we are to serve the Lord in all that we do. Sure, there are some who have no kids, others have young kids, and others still have grown kids. There are working dads and working moms. Some moms stay at home with the kids all day. Some of you are bosses or managers. Others still are working for the boss or under management. And some are looking for jobs while others are enjoying retirement. But Paul here is showing us this. There is no such thing as a sacred vocation. As if there is one job that is securely done to serve the Lord. I used to think that way when I was a kid. I thought if you had to serve the Lord, that meant being a pastor or a missionary. But here he's telling us whatever you do, you are to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so, Christian, understand your vocation, even in whatever work you find yourself doing, you are to do it unto the Lord. So our lives, they all vary, but even in every single one of our lives, our lives vary as well. There are many hours in the day that range where we do many different things. There are waking hours, working hours, leisure hours, and sleeping hours. And even every day of the week is a different day of the week. There are days of work days of rest, and even today, a special day where we gather to worship. But we need to understand this as well. There are no sacred hours or sacred days. So however you fill your time, and however you fill your days, and however you fill your weeks, you are to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So whether you are cleaning out the gutters or cleaning the dishes, you are to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whether you are eating breakfast or making dinner, you are to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Or if you're buying groceries or bringing a neighbor a meal, once again, you're to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. On and on we could go. Everything that we do, we are to do in the name of the Lord Jesus. And how is this done? How, how do we practically do that? Because we all fill our days with various activities. So how do we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus? Well, we might do it by praying. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Paul, he, he calls us to pray without ceasing. And so if you're doing the dishes, you can pray and ask the Lord to do things in your life that you need in your life. Make your supplications be known to him. Or if you're driving to work, you might even pray for that family member who doesn't know Christ and ask him for an opportunity to share the gospel with them. We're to go to the Father in prayer. But not only that, but we're to give him thanks in everything. So if you're sipping that hot cup of coffee in the morning, give thanks to God for the coffee that he has made. Or if you enjoy a view of Mount Hood, praise God for a clear day of weather and the beautiful creation that he has made for us to enjoy. Or even as Tate taught us just a few weeks ago, another way you can do all things unto him is by letting his word dwell in us richly. And we can do this by filling our homes with songs, filling our minds with scriptures, even putting sticky notes maybe on your computer so that you might be reminded of the gospel truths that we believe. Do whatever you can to press 
the word into your mind such that you would think on it day and night. Now, we are only scratching the surface here. But suffice it to say, in all that you do, you are to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, we might think of all our various doings as that of what is done with our hands, but, but Paul goes further. He tells us, whatever you do, in word or deed, we are to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so understand, Christ, yes, he is to rule and reign over our hands, the works that we do, but also he is to rule and reign over our tongues. You see, here in America, we have the freedom to speak our minds. And some of us are well-versed in exercising this freedom. But those who belong to Christ are to be so permeated with him, so filled with him, that even our words are to be governed by his rule. And so while the world curses their enemies, God's people are to pray for them. And while the world insults us, we are to bless them. And while the world lies and deceives and does what they can to get ahead, God's people are to say yes and that their yes be yes, and they're to say no and that their no be no. And while the world even grumbles against God and even makes a mockery of him, God's people use their mouth to bless the Lord and give him thanks for all that he has done. So whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's easy to define the boundaries of our state, and yet how much easier then is it to, to define the boundaries, to measure the breadth of the Christian life because every little nook and cranny of our life belongs to him. There is no such thing as unholy ground in the Christian life. No such thing as unholy time in the Christian life. Even here on Sunday morning, it is a holy time where we come to worship. But when we go home, I, I do hope and pray that you love the Lord so much that you would go home praising him and worshiping him for all that he has done. Yeah, we read the Bible in the morning, but that's not the only time that it's to be set apart. But all our life belongs to him, and so all our thinking ought to be directed towards him. So in every nook and cranny of your life, let Christ be named. In every activity, let Christ rule and reign. You see, the Christian life is not a, a list of do's and don'ts. The Christian life is a life that is all unto him. Everything belongs to God. We've learned this already here in Colossians at the very beginning of it. Everything belongs to God. Listen to Colossians 1.15, that Christ him. He, that's Jesus, he's the image of the invisible God. This firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, understand right here, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you know what that means? It means whoever you are, you belong to him. He owns you. Understand how even the apostles understood this. In Acts 17, we hear this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. There it is. You're, you're created by him and sustained by him. So every breath we breathe is a breath that he gives. 
So it's true. Every single one of us belongs to God, even if you do not believe in God. You belong to him. Not in a special sense, but certainly you belong to him because you are made by him. And if this is true for all creation, then how much more true is it for those of us who believe? You see, we've been created once by God, and then the Christian has been created again. We are a new creation. We have been given second birth by him so that we might worship him and glorify him in all that we do. Listen to how Colossians continues this. Colossians 1.16, you've heard it already way back when we were in this a year ago, but Paul goes on beyond just the first creation. Yes, we were created by him. Everything is created by him in heaven and earth, visible and visible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And furthermore, he says, he is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the fact that God calls every one of us to live entirely for him should not be an offense. Because he created us, and not only that, but he has redeemed us so that we might worship him, so that we might know him, so that we might love him in all that we do. You see, any other person who would make such a demand would be ridiculous. If a boss tells you that your whole life belongs to them, that's ridiculous. If governing authorities try to exercise their authority outside of their jurisdiction, they would be out of step. But God and his authority can command every single bit of your life because he is God. He alone can do this. And this is doubly true for the Christian who has been born again. And so we ought to examine our life and look to see if there's any part of our life in which Christ is not Lord over. Consider how you spend your time at work or in leisure. Or even the words you say and the deeds you do. Are they ruled by Christ? Is there any limit to what Christ is allowed to come into? Maybe, maybe you submit to men over God. Or perhaps you even submit to your own sinful will over the will of him who has redeemed you. Understand, Christ is to be the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end in all of your life. Or as Spurgeon famously said it, if Christ is to be anything, he must be everything. O oh, rest not till love and faith in Jesus be the master and passions of your soul. So whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so upon having measured now the breadth of Christ's rule in our lives, let us now see the banner to which we are to wave in the Christian life. I've already talked about the borders here of Washington and Oregon. But now let's talk about for just a moment the banner that is flowing across every state in our country. It doesn't matter whether you are in the coldest, darkest regions of Alaska or the tropical, humid beaches in Florida or anywhere in between. In every single state, the stars and bars are flown. So you know you're in America. So too... 
in every part of the Christian life, there must be a banner that is waved, and that is the name of Jesus. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so, understand, we are to wave the banner of Jesus' name in all that we do. And that's kind of a funny way to put it. I understand if you're like, well, what does that actually mean? How do you do that? I'm not telling you to put Christian flags in your lawn and in your living room and so on and so forth. That's not what I'm talking about. When I talk about waving the banner of Jesus' name, I'm talking about a life that is lived in Christ and overflows from Christ having lived in us. And this is done in many ways. The Puritans had lists and lists and lists of ways in which they tried to understand this, but I'm going to give us just four ways in which I think we are to wave the banner of Jesus' name in our life. First and foremost, this is done through faith in Jesus Christ. When we place our lives in the hands of Jesus, when we believe in him and his finished work on the cross, we are, we are waving that banner of Jesus' name. You see, the Pharisees' lives were filled with all the religious rules and activities for God that they were to do, but they did not believe in Jesus Christ. So too, the, the false teachers here in Colossae are telling them all the things that they are to do and not do, and yet what they are doing is not telling them to wave the banner of Christ's name, but instead they are telling them how they are to earn a righteousness through some other means other than Christ's finished work on the cross. So if we're going to wave the banner of Jesus' name, it has to start with faith. Understand what Hebrews 11.6 says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so in all our doings, if our works are, are trying to please God, but it's not first and foremost being presented to God through the precious blood of Jesus, understand, it will not be pleasing to him. Spurgeon summed it up this way. If you could give to God all the wealth that you possess, all the time of your mortal existence, all the talents in which you have been endowed, if you could do henceforth without failure... And if you did not present the offerings through Jesus Christ, it would be as though you had done nothing. Your burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings would have no acceptance with Jehovah, for your sinful nature pollutes them all, end quote. Our best works, church, even our best days are still tainted with sin. Understand what he's saying. Everything that we do is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. I can't think of one single act I've ever done that has been done with such an extreme amount of dedication. I don't even know a single time that I've ever loved the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength as he has commanded me to do. And so even my best, even your best, falls far short from the glory of God. And so understand, if you were to do anything good, and if it's going to be counted as anything that is pleasing to God, then it must be presented by faith through Christ. If we try to offer our works in order to please God and to try to earn salvation apart from Christ, then we would be like Nadab and Abihu. Do you remember who they are? The sons of Aaron who offered unauthorized fire to the Lord? For to try to please the Lord apart from Christ, understand we will be consumed by his wrath. So too, as we offer our life to God, Understand, it is from faith to faith. As Romans 1.17 says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 
So in all that you do, do it relying wholly on Christ's finished work, on his sinless life, on his atoning death on the cross, on his victorious resurrection from the grave. Trust in him and believe that his righteousness is yours by faith and faith alone, so that in all you do, you do it while waving the banner of Jesus' name. He is our mediator, Jesus Christ, and we are acceptable to God the Father only by his precious blood. So wave that banner in all that you do. Furthermore, if we're going to wave that banner, it means that we're going to do so by submitting to the authority of Jesus. We are to be his people who are ruled and governed by him. Jesus himself said this, right before he ascended into heaven, he said, all authority in heaven on earth is given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. You hear of his authority here, how he commands us to go in his name, to represent him to the nations and to teach them of all that he has commanded. Jesus says it this way in John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. And so it's true. While we fully depend on Christ's credited righteousness that comes by faith and faith alone, not through works, understand when we bear fruit of righteousness that comes about through faith, God is actually pleased with us. That is a mystery that none of us should try to understand, not fully. But this is what Paul himself labored and prayed for. The beginning of Colossians. He prayed so that the Colossians, and we have prayed so that we ourselves would be able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So hear his words, Christian. Hear the scriptures. And don't be hearers only, but be doers of the word. Submit yourself to his authority so that you might not just know what he says, but so that by faith and obeying what he says, you might actually please him. So we are to be ruled by Christ, yes, but moreover, we're also to represent Christ to a world that does not know him. We are called to imitate him, 1 John 2, 6. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The world would have you look more like itself, wouldn't it? The world would have you be conformed into its image. And yet, Paul tells us in Romans 12, too, that we are not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. We do that by hearing Jesus' word and seeing his life and then imitating him as he has called us to imitate him. Do you know of his love? If not, learn of it. For we are called to imitate Christ's love. Do you know Christ's humility? If not, see him there hanging on the cross. For in Philippians 2, he calls us to imitate Christ's humility. Do you know of his forgiveness of your sins? If not, get to know it well. For we are called, even here in Colossians, to forgive as we have been forgiven. In 2 Corinthians 2, Paul even calls himself the aroma of Christ. 
that he himself is this aroma which is pleasing to God. His life is a sacrifice that, that God smells and is pleased with. But not only that, but the world itself smells this aroma through the life of Paul. And so they know that he's from Christ. Or as we even read of in Acts 4, when the people bring Peter and John before them, they perceive that they had been with Christ. Does the world say that of you? Or even as Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Understand the shining that we're doing isn't a light that comes from us, but it is a light that comes from God that strikes us and changes us so that what we would reflect is good works that do not give glory to us, but glory to him. And so wave the banner of Jesus' name in every corner of your life. Do this by trusting in the finished work of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But not only that, wave the banner by representing Christ to a world that is without hope. And furthermore, we, we wave this banner for the glory of Jesus' name. God does everything for his glory, church. Every single thing God does, he does it for his name's sake. Even the work of salvation that he has lovingly worked for us is ultimately done for him. Ephesians 1 opens up with a list of all the blessings that we have in Christ. Every single blessing. And it's worthwhile going through on your own time. We don't have time to do that this morning. But there's this refrain that happens over and over and over again. All the things that he's doing for us is done to the praise of his glory, it says, three times over. So God is working in us so that he would be glorified. Or have you heard it in Psalm 23? We love this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why is he doing all this? For his name's sake. Or again in Psalm 25, verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord. Pardon my guilt. Is that how you pray? Learn to pray from the psalmists because they see that, that God, he forgives them for his glory, for his name's sake. Or listen to how God even describes himself and his own mercy towards his people and the discipline towards them as well. In Isaiah 48, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I might not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Everything that God does is for his name's sake. And he has made us a new creation so that everything that we do would be for his name's sake as well. Even the cross was for his glory. As Philippians 8, 2, 8 through 11 says, that he being found in human form humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is committed to his glory. 
And in the Christian life, every single nook and cranny ought to be committed to his glory as well so that he would be honored. So in all that you do, wave the banner of Jesus' name. Do it by believing in him. Do it by submitting to him and do it for his glory. And finally, if we're curious, okay, how is this possible? We're to do so by the power of Jesus' name as well. You see, the Christian life is a life of our weakness. We don't get the glory, but his power displayed in and through us. So the Christian life is a life of weakness, a life of dependence, and consequently it ought to be a life of prayer. Asking God that he would do in us what we could not ever do. Asking God even to give us the strength to obey him to love him, to treasure him. Jesus says it this way in John 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So understand, prayer is the activity of those who are weak. Prayer is the activity of those who need help. Prayer is the activity of the Christian who recognizes that the life that they live cannot be lived apart from the Lord's strength. So if we try to live the Christian life without praying, it's like trying to drive to work without ever having fuel in the, in the gas tank. It'll get you nowhere. If everything we do, we do in our own strength as opposed to in the strength that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, then we will find ourselves failing constantly. But understand, there is power in the name of Jesus we see this so beautifully demonstrated in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And when they had sent them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Now I want to stop for just a moment. He had just healed a man who was lame. And asking, Who did this? How did you do this? And then there in verse 8, Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit then opens his mouth. So even his words are not done in his own strength or power, but is done through the power of the Spirit in him. <clears throat> this is what he said under the, the power of the Spirit. Rulers of the people of the elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means has he been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you all. And so it is of every believer. If anyone ever asks you, how did you do what you did? Whether it was raising kids, doing laundry, going to work, you get to say, it was all Christ. It was all him. Even the most mundane bit of it was all him. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You're not the one working. You are working in one sense, but really, it's him working in and through you. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Or my favorite, 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Or even in our own letter here to the Colossians. Colossians 1.29 For this I toil, 
struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Understand, Christian, if you're going to if your life is going to be permeated by Christ, he must be all in all. He must rule everything. He must be sovereign over it all. He must command it all. And ultimately, in the end, even when we obey, we say, it was not me, but him. And just a brief warning. It is possible that we would misuse the name of Jesus to go by the name of a Christian while not living in faith through Jesus Christ, but depending upon a righteousness that is our own. You might call yourself a Christian, and you might not even live under the authority of Jesus' name. You might call yourself a Christian and not be living for his glory, and you might call yourself a Christian, and all the while you are not depending upon his strength. We need to understand, to use the name of Christ, calling yourself a Christian, and not living in the name of Christ, is a complete contradiction. Last Spurgeon quote of the morning. Listen to how he admonished even his own congregation regarding this problem. Too many church members do nothing in Christ's name. Since the day they were baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, they have done nothing else in that name. Ah, hypocrites. Ah, hypocrites. God have mercy upon you. Alas, how many others do but very little in Christ's name. End quote. Better yet, hear how Jesus responds to people who use his name but do not do anything in his name. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is by definition what it means to be a nominal believer a believer in name only and all the while not doing anything that truly comes from the name of the Lord Jesus. And so if Christ is not in all your life, then I'd call you just to repent. Confess your sins before him. Turn to Christ and know that he is faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Let's move forward. The entire Christian life is lived through Christ and for Christ. It's lived by faith in Jesus and submission to Jesus and dependence on Jesus and for the glory of Jesus. And so whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Lastly, never so briefly, let's consider now the overflow, the, the manner, the overflow in a manner that fits the Christian life. And there's few words here that are confusing. Let me just explain them. Overflow, first and foremost. What I'm describing, what comes next, is the natural result of the Christian who has been ruled by Christ. And so, as such, it's like a, a cup that's being filled with water under a faucet, and that faucet is left running, and the natural consequences is there's going to be there's going to be something overfilling. That's what I mean by overfilling. We are filled with all the fullness of Christ, and something is bound to happen. And the second word is the word manner. What do I mean by manner that fits the Christian life? When I talk about the manner, I'm referring to the way in which something is done. And so, if someone is said to run the race, pacing themselves along the way, they don't just run the race at a flat-out sprint. The manner in which they do so is by pacing them. 
It's a participle there. It's a verb with an ing at the end, and it describes how they run the race. They pace themselves. So they run the race pacing themselves. That's the manner by which they run. Or one more example, he sang the doxology, belting out each word. So yes, he sang, but moreover, we see the, the manner by which he sang. He was belting out each word. And so when I talk about overflowing in a manner that fits the Christian life, I'm talking about the manner in which all the Christian life is lived. And so listen now to the text, and you'll see the, the participle given. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, here's the participle, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so the overflow, the manner that fits the Christian life, is one that gives thanks to God. Now we need to understand that, that saying thanks to God, giving thanks to God, gratitude for that sense, is far more than just saying thank you. You know the difference between a person who's polite and a person who's actually grateful, don't you? Piper, John Piper that is, he gives a great definition of, of gratitude. He says this, gratitude is a species of joy which arises in the heart in response to the goodwill of someone who does something or even tries to do us a favor. So again, it's, it's joy directed to the giver gratitude. And when you stop and think about it, what Paul is saying here is quite incredible. Because we think the one who does something for us, right? And yet in this text, who is the one who's working? We are. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so what's going on here? Who's the one working? And that's kind of the point. So what we said earlier, when we said that everything you do is in the name of the Lord Jesus, by his power and his strength, it is God who is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so while it's true, we are called to do this thing, ultimately, in any obedience that we have, we say, this didn't come from me. This came from God. And when we recognize that every good that we do and every good that we receive comes from God, all of a sudden we can do nothing but thank him. Thanksgiving and understanding that all these good comes from God, it crushes entitlement. We no longer say, God, you deserve me anything. You owe me anything, excuse me. But rather we would say, thank you, Lord, for everything that you have given, even the thorns in the flesh. Thank you, God, that you are teaching me to depend on your grace. Furthermore, this kind of gratitude crushes pride because if we recognize it's been given to us, what more do we have to boast in? 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says it this way. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So when we rightly recognize that our life, the life that is lived, is even the life, the obedience itself, is a gift of God, we can't even be proud, but only thankful. And finally, this kind of right understanding of the Christian life crushes self-righteousness. We stop looking at ourselves as if we had done anything, but instead we look to Christ and say, it was his righteousness from beginning to end. Everything that was done in the Christian life was because of him. So the manner of the Christian life is one that is thankful, giving thanks to God the Father through Christ. There it is again, it's done through him. And yet I wonder why some of us are grumbling You see, gratitude and grumbling, they don't go well together. 
You see, the one who is freed from their sins to serve the Lord is grateful. But the one who is forced to work for the Lord will grumble. The one who deserves a good thing from God and instead gets perhaps that thorn in the flesh will grumble because they think they are entitled to something different. While the one who recognizes that they deserve no good thing at all, but all these blessings have been freely given to us, all of a sudden you can understand why they would give thanks to God even in the midst of the greatest trials. Let me illustrate this by pointing out Israel's grumbling in the wilderness. Exodus 16, 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I wonder how many Christians talk to one another, or perhaps even to God like that, just grumbling and not remembering what it is that the Lord has done. Do they not remember what it was like in Egypt being under the, the taskmaster of Pharaoh who drove them hard without any rest, who slaughtered their children for fear of them rising up and overthrowing his rule and reign? This is not how our God treats us. He loves us. He serves us. He's kind to us. His yoke is gentle and easy. Light and easy, excuse me. Furthermore, those who grumble forget what they actually deserve. You could just look at Pharaoh, who rejected God's word and was destroyed by God, along with all his people. And we see that's, that's what sin actually deserves. When we harden our hearts repeatedly and reject God's word, we will be destroyed. And yet Israel wasn't that far off. For Israel repeatedly disobeyed God's word and rejected him as king. And yet God even was merciful towards them. So how could they grumble? And even finally, didn't they know where the Lord was taking them to? They said, we're hungry. And yet the Lord is taking them to the land that flows with milk and honey. Furthermore, he would be with them the entire way, even in the wilderness, being their provider and their protector. Christian, hopefully you can see your life kind of in a similar place that even Israel was in there in the wilderness, having been delivered from God and on the way to heaven. Understand, there are going to be difficult times along the way, but even then we can be thankful. We can give thanks to God because everything that we have ever received has come from Him, and even the salvation that we've received is a gift given to us, not what we deserve. So let us live our life and all that we do and all the working we do, even if it's changing diapers or perhaps it's working that job that just isn't your favorite job in the world. Or whatever difficulty it might be, whether it be sickness or even death, may we thank God knowing this, that in the end it will all be worth it. When we give thanks to him, we are in effect saying, it wasn't even in me to do these things. We say with Paul, yeah, I, I, I lived the Christian life, but nevertheless, it was not I, but Christ in me. So whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. To this end, 
Let us praise God. Let us give him thanks. And let me pray for you so that he might fill you with all the fullness of Christ. Father, we do thank you for the work of Christ that is finished. The righteousness that he has given us. May we continually wave the banner of his name, boasting not in our works, but in his work alone. And Lord, forgive us for the times where we do not submit to you, but when we we rebel and disobey, thinking that our ways are better than your ways. Lord, lead us in the ways of righteousness. Cause for us to, to delight in your word, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Forgive us for the times that we do not live for your glory, but instead seek our own praise. So Lord, give us the power, the strength to do all that you have commanded us. Help us to do this with joy and thanksgiving. And so Lord, may we be a pleasing aroma to you. In Christ's name, amen.